Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. On Thursday, April 3rd, the E-Bar welcomes the Peter Elkis Band and Harlan Pepper to Guelph. Elkis is celebrating the 10th anniversary of his solo debut, Party of One, available on vinyl for the first time and only at live shows. Harlan Pepper just released their acclaimed new album, Take Out a 20 and Live Life to the Fullest, available now via Six Shooter Records. This all-ages licensed show begins at 9 p.m. And if you bring a non-perishable donation for the Guelph Food Bank, you'll save $2 off your admission. Peter Elkis Band and Harlan Pepper at the E-Bar, located at 41 Quebec Street on Thursday, April 3rd. For more info, visit vishkana.com. The E-Bar is not a fully accessible venue. Hey, I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm, I'm at, I'd say I'm at 75%? 70%? I don't know. I still have a bit of a chest cough and a throat infection. I went to the doctor. They said I had a throat infection. And I'm still woozy and dizzy sometimes when I stand up. So not the best, but better. Functional. You know what? I'm still going to keep this brief. I do want to apologize to the folks at Action Read. I couldn't uh, host your event, and I felt really bad about it. Uh, I really wanted to do it, but I just was not physically up for it. Hopefully I can make it up to you guys some somehow, some way, I don't know. I don't, really don't know how to do it, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure something out. On the show uh, this uh, episode, Peter Elkis, my old pal Peter Elkis, who's a very talented musician and uh, someone I've admired. Uh, I first saw a play when I was a young teenager, and it turns out he was a young teenager, too. He's only a year older than me, but he seemed... You know, when people are on stage, they seem older and wiser than you. And he probably is wiser than me, but he was, what, a year older than me, and I thought he was, like, some crazy adult. Not crazy. Anyway, I should stop. (sighs) Peter Elkis is on the show because he's reissuing his solo debut, Party of One. And he's playing some shows, including one in Guelph. I'm going to tell you all about that. And you're going to hear a song from Party of One. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay. Starting to get dizzy. I, I got to go.
This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Tim's Vermeer, The Past, Le Weekend, which if you don't understand French, that just means The Weekend, Monuments Men, and more. At the E-Bar this week, Peter Alkis and Harlan Pepper play a show together on Thursday, April 3rd. The Bookshelf is an independently owned culture hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Please visit bookshelf.ca for more information. Alkis is a talented rock and soul singer, songwriter, and musician based in Toronto. In the early 90s, he, he was in an inventive Montreal band called Local Rabbits. And when they stopped playing together, Alkis set off on an acclaimed creative trajectory of his own. Ten years ago, Alkis released Party of One, his first of three solo albums thus far, and he's celebrating this milestone by reissuing the record on vinyl for the first time and making it exclusively available at shows he's playing primarily in southern Ontario throughout April, including a Guelph stop at the E-Bar on April 3rd. Here now to discuss this further is Peter Elkis. Uh, hey, Pete, how's it going? I'm Whoa. Great. How are you? Very, that was kind of pinball wizardy. What was, uh, can you tell people listening what that was? That was a, a, an E suspended, I think, <laughs> like us four, just leaving it so ambiguous. Um <laughs> On a 12-string, uh, unplugged 12-string electric guitar. Uh-huh. Uh, why on earth do you have uh, an unplugged 12-string electric guitar strapped to your body during our interview? Um, it had to be something to make it fun. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's that's not insulting to me at all. <laughs> I thought we would have a plenty good time without you turning into Randy Bachman on my show. Does he plug it in, though, or is he unplugged? He plays unplugged electric, I think. I never listened to the show, but from what I've seen uh, uh, people complaining on Facebook, uh, huh. I think he's either acoustic or, or or unplugged. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like when he does that. Okay, yeah, well, little... yeah, I could see you liking it. Uh, some people don't. I'm putting my guitar down. I'm putting my guitar down. No, you don't have to. I didn't mean to dissuade you. Okay, here it comes. This might be good. Like Every time I ask you a question, you can just be like, you know. I can be like, I'll do, I'll do. I'll make my own stings. I'll be like, and that's why I re-released uh, Party One, like that. Which, which was always that was the riff that the local rabbits kind of made up to to be like that would be on Full House to be like, oh no, my you know all my dads are home. Like right. That kind of thing. Right. That kind of that's like a segue thing, but also it's telling. Like that's like trouble is on the horizon when you hear yeah, that. Yeah, but. It's it can only be so bad because it's major, but it is got this little bluesy down thing. Like it sounds that. very nice. So this is a recent acquisition, this guitar? I guess so, like a year or so. I don't know why I keep buying these things. I have more guitars than songs at this point. I was going to I was gonna ask you, you're a guitar slinger. People view you as a really great guitar player. How many guitars oh, cool. does someone like? Oh, how cool. You know, you not heard this before, that people think you're a good guitar player? Now I'm entertained. <laughs> 
<laughs> how many how many guitars would you say you own oh i think i have like not only a couple of them are any good but i have like seven or so which i think is pretty low yeah that's not so for, bad amongst like all the you know these post-adolescent uh men that we just you know still play with toys like i think some guys have way more than me but how many of them leave the house like to to go on the road with you or play a show probably two Oh. I take I I still play the same um Telecaster that I played uh when I was 17. I got it was the first guitar I ever bought with my own money and um it's like a red late 70s Fender Telecaster and it's just been the one that I love the most and I I continue to it's weird it's like the only thing I've ever really probably truly been loyal to in my whole life. Just kidding. You know you're married with a kid. I don't think you should say stuff like that. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> no, that's but cool. No, that's good. It's good that you, uh, you you hang on to. Now, what is it about that guitar that makes you want to hang on to it? Like people like me who casually play guitar will look at a band and they'll see them shifting uh, through guitars during a show. You know, and yeah. A lot of it's tuning. A lot of it is whatever. But what is it? Why do you? Some of it's tone. But what? If you can, for the layperson here, why do you need multiple guitars on stage? You would need multiple guitars. I mean, ru rule number one would be because in case something goes wrong with one of them, that would be the the best reason to change guitars around. Um, secondly, would be if the song called for it, like you just said, like if you had an alternate tuning that really took far too long to uh, do in front of the audience because no one likes, no one, tuning's no fun for the audience. And, um, uh, but you know, for myself, it's always been, yeah, like one as a backup or like a guitar that really just has a whole, um, different sound. The Telecaster is kind of notoriously thin sounding and trebly. Uh -huh. Um, uh, you know, it has, you can get a lot of stuff out of it, but, but so I have it. The other guitar that I play is like one that's got a bigger, fatter tone. It's kind of like the tonally opposite guitar, but this is kind of going down like nerd, nerd. No, I know. Right well, now. you're the one who strapped on a 12 string Fender electric guitar during our interview. I got to ask these guitar questions. Now. It sounds, a bit it does sound fun to play. It is fun. It's really fun. 12 strings weird though. There's no space. Like you're just, it's all string. You're like, it takes a while to get used to. Yeah. yeah. What is the, what is the benefit? Like what would cause you to pull out a 12 string guitar? Like what, uh, how do you know a song calls for a 12 string versus a, a six string? I don't know. I haven't really found a good application for it yet. I keep Blackett <laughs> did with his twelve string. He he seems to find a good use for it. You know, um, I don't know that the audience really cares about these things. These are the sort of things that you know fall within the scope and and um, the responsibility of the artist to kind of go. This makes it better. Just trust me. Song sounds better with a twelve yeah, string. Yeah. Whether anyone would care if you were playing it on a six string or not, I don't really know. But you know, it's what makes it fun. No, it's fun for you. I'm just curious because there are people who go to a thousand shows and they probably either don't think twice about this stuff or they've noticed it. You know, they've noticed these different guitars. They've noticed these different things. And probably you're right. They notice it, don't care. Maybe they yeah. just, they just don't care. They're just like, well, they he switched a guitar and then it sounded different. And then I liked it. And that's all they care about. And, you know, if maybe if you hadn't switched, it may be the other guitar might have been like super out of tune or, you know, you might have noticed it more if he didn't change guitars or yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it, 
I, I prefer to try to make the most out of one. I think that there's a lot that can be done with one guitar. And, and I think if you're, you got a decent ear, you should be able to throw it in a different tuning, like pretty quickly on stage. Yeah. Anyway. Well, part of, part of my line of questioning here, because I know you, I can tell, because I know you, I know you're getting a little exasperated by this line of questioning. <laughs> it's like, yeah. why are we having this conversation? But you and I are both dads. Yeah. Uh, you are a newer dad than I, I think. How old is your kid again? Yeah. Yeah. My daughter, Atia is uh, 10 and a half months old. Right. So I'm winning. Um, yeah. So what you're going to find, and you haven't got there yet, is that you're going to start to have to answer questions. Yes. About, about the stuff that you have. And uh-huh. in your case, you've got seven <laughs> guitars. Uh-huh. And you're going to start to get questions about the guitars. So I am prepping you with my naive questions as to what to expect from your child. You know, you have. I like this. Yeah. You need to get answers ready, Pete. This is my public service for you. I appreciate <laughs> it. I don't know that, you know, I, people won't have to listen to my daughter's uh boring questions over the the radio (laughs) there's so many insults coming my way from you during this conversation (laughs) but i'm just saying like this is the kind of stuff that as a dad uh for me i want to learn how to explain things so i've been taking i took piano lessons you know around the time when my son was born i'd never had a music lesson in my life and i just wanted to have some basic concept not to quote one of your old albums by the local rabbits, I wanted to have some basic idea of how to explain things. So Uh have you found that already at 10 and a half months? Are you having to explain anything to your kid about anything? No, no, I'm, I, I, I'm totally uh, cognizant though and worried about the day when the day comes to have to explain like something really basic. And I'm mostly afraid that somebody's going to overhear me. Like I'll be in a coffee shop and, She'll ask me a really basic science question or a biology question or math. Oh man! And I'll royally mess it up, and someone will will find me out as being a total fraudulent parent. But yeah, I, I do think about that. It's funny you, you say that because I don't know what I would say about a lot of. I don't know that much stuff, you know. Well, we 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 think that. I feel like our generation is grappling with this, not knowing how to do the stuff our parents know how to do. Yeah, yeah. Like my dad would just go like he, he's like oh we need a new bookshelf and then he would go make a bookshelf and he would try to get me involved and then i'd just screw something up you know he'd ask for a yeah. hammer and i'd bring him a saw and he'd be like that's it you are no yeah. help to me and then he would just make a bookshelf and if my if if it came to pass that i we needed a bookshelf i don't know that i could build a bookshelf that's what i'm saying to you yeah, I, I agree. I'm completely insane. I think I, I think I, I can. I think I have the raw skill set to make a bookshelf, but I've never done it. So maybe I should make one, just like a, a test one. Yeah. Uh, to see that I can do it for you know, because there'll be a there'll come a day where I'll have to make one for Atia. The other thing is like buying a car. Your dad would just like go in and wield some sort of like inherent authority over the salesman and get a car for. Much less than yeah. the sticker price. This kind of stuff is just doesn't. It's just not in our our scope. And like you know, I, I my friend Dave was saying he was buying a minivan. I have a minivan. I'm on number two, um, minivan number two already. Um, and I was trying to get Dave to go in and buy a Dodge Caravan, 
because I was just saying there's the most practical vehicle out there. And he's like, okay, I need somebody's dad to go with me. You know, like you just need someone's dad to yeah. accompany you yep. buying an automobile. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. Now I also, what I've come to learn and in the course of our discussion, I, I hope that you learn this too. I think what I've figured out though, is that mystical power you're talking about in terms of what our dads seem to have. I don't, yeah. I don't think it actually existed. I think no. they just pretended to know what was going on. And yeah. the same way we have to pretend we know what's going on. Like, yeah. I think you're right. I think if push came to shove, I would build a bookshelf. And there's probably a chance my dad didn't know how to build the bookshelf. He just did it. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he was cheap and didn't want to pay someone or buy his own. So I think that out of necessity, sustainability, I will become a better person. And you will too. Okay. <laughs> I hope so. All right. Well, I think our session's done. <laughs> I think uh, we're fine here. Now, Pete, you're celebrating uh, 10 years of Party of One. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit of a gimmicky reason to go out and play shows. I'll be totally honest. I booked um, a residency at the Dakota Tavern in Toronto. I do them like about once a year for the past few years. And um, this time was mostly with the intention of trying to play a bunch of new stuff. It um, takes me a long time to kind of get my material up and, and running. And um, I thought, oh, it would be so much fun to have something new at the merch table. And then it dawned on me that it was the 10th anniversary of Party One. And also, coincidentally, I'd been getting like little messages here and there from either like a fan or two or, um, you know, like Andrew Cash had sent out a tweet saying, just randomly saying that he loves that album, that he and his son Sam have been, you know, they, they kind of bonded over that. And I thought, well, and I was getting messages saying, hey, if you ever have it on vinyl, um, you know, let me know. I'd love to get a copy because I think it's it's um, although it's only 10 years ago, um, mathematically, it's it's longer ago technology, uh, technologically, like it's a very much like a analog to tape um, recording done on like pretty old gear out at the gas station with Don Kerr on Toronto Island. And um, so the sounds of the album, I think, would lend it lend itself I've always, we've always thought would lend themselves well to, to vinyl. So um, kind of dawned on me that maybe I had enough of a window before going to play these shows uh, in April. And then there, there you go. There'd be a theme to the residency and, um, uh, and a reason to go out and play shows. And I just got the vinyl this morning. Like it's um, pretty hilarious how under the wire, but they look great. I wanted it to just be a really simple package with a reworked version of the original album artwork. It's funny because it's actually the third incarnation of party one, because when I first recorded it in 2002, when I moved to Toronto, I um, put together just an EP. So there were, there were only six songs and I had a spindle of CDs and my dad's friend, Roly had printed like a bunch of slip covers in his print shop. And I would go and play little shows just to kind of get the word out that I was doing solo stuff. And I would assemble the CDs there at the merch table and sell them to people. So for some people, that's the original, version and i have a feeling there's some people who like that ep who've never heard the full length because i ended up um signing to maple music recordings and maple released the full length properly and um and they had me add four more songs so i went back out to toronto island and we kind of got into the same headspace and recorded um four other tunes like turn out the lights only you skipping stone and gone it's gone or not from the original yeah. EP. yeah um i think they, they we did a good job of making them sound like they did go on the album 
anyway, so then came out the, the CD. So now the vinyl is like a re the cover, cover art is a reworking of the CD, the le full length artwork. And um, it sounds really good on, on vinyl. I'm, I'm really happy with it. Joe Carvalho mastering did a great, really great job of just, he had it in his system and he just, I don't know what he had to do to get it set up for vinyl, but he did a good job. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's going to be really fun. We've got a lot of other bands playing this month too. Can you hear that piano right yeah, now? What is that? Is that your cat? Do you have a cat? That's playing? my, yeah, if I, if I had a cat, that's what it would sound like. But I think that's my daughter oh, wow. with my, my wife playing right upstairs for me because i'm in the basement right now in my little uh, man cave yeah no um, I, I can hear it it sounds nice i mean it, when does a piano yeah. not sound kind of nice pianos always just like incidental piano sounds half decent you know what i mean yeah it sounds nice i was gonna, i was gonna pick someone like randomly to make fun of just now but i kind of i agree with you <laughs> i was gonna pull like i was gonna pick on bruce hornsby or something but i really like bruce hornsby's piano playing so. i think there's good piano players and bad piano players but there's something just about the instrument more than almost any other instrument maybe the i bet a harp sounds half decent no matter who's plucking on it it's a similar thing like it's a big piece of furniture kind of making music you yeah know, it's neat i was thinking about this you were alluded to the first version of party of one uh which was the ep and the album artwork as i recall is like a drawing that you did of yourself valiant, yeah. valiantly trying to do a sit-up. I think I'm relaxing in it. No. But maybe that's what... No, I think you're trying to do a sit-up. And not, <laughs> and you're not able to do it. Like It's just clearly like there's a lot of effort going in to the sit-up. And then when the album came out, it was this relatively... It was still an artistic rendering, but relatively suave uh, head, yeah. headshot. So what happened from the guy who couldn't do a sit-up to the guy who should have been in GQ or something. Where did that come from? Keep in mind it was a headshot. So That's... you didn't see what was going on, If my what my core strength was like. The core <laughs> strength was to play in that, in that illustration. Um, there was a photo sh shoot done, and then I did... I uh, was really into Illustrator. I've always been into doing graphic design. And um, uh, I got into like doing il freehand Illustrator drawings, which like for people who don't know, it's like you're doing computer drawings, vector shapes, and lines... Um, and I would do those over photos and come up with like just these, if you've ever seen the movie, um, oh, what's that movie that's all oh, that looks like that. Everything looks like that. Keanu Reeves is in it. Um, yeah. Just hang on a second. I'm thinking it's called this days in the title. No, um, uh, I know brought it up. I thought I knew it. Uh, is it a Todd Phillips? Shoot. I don't remember. Hang on, I gotta look it up. Anyway, that movie looks like that. It's basically all flash animation or something over top you know, real cinematography. Anyhow, that was how that was done. But so for the reissue, the vinyl, I did a, like an acrylic painting over the same thing. And um, I can see you on FaceTime right now looking on Google. for. The yeah, I'm just title. sorry. I need to know the name of the movie. You keep going. That's not it. That's the girl. Entertain them while you're doing that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not. I don't, is Keanu in it? I don't think it's Keanu. Not I feel like it's Lily Tomlin or something. Hang on a second. Lily Tomlin? I feel like she's in it. Uh, I could be wrong about this. Oh my god, this is making me crazy. Okay, it's something. I know the one you mean, and I can't think of... I feel like there's a Todd involved in it, and this is... People are yelling at us right now because they can... Come on, you can do it. Oh, I can't think of the name of the movie. It's making me nuts. Anyway, there's a movie, and it's got the anime. Anyway. Yeah. 
I can't think of it. It looks like what that Party of One uh, CD cover looks like, and the vinyl is a, an actual hand acrylic painting of that same thing. You're pretty sure it's so, Ke- Keanu, right? I don't know. We got to get off this. It's not. I shouldn't have brought it up. No, you should have. I'm trying to figure this out. I feel like it's... <laughs> this is why this whole interview has been a slight diversion, hasn't it? We, I, Yeah, it's digression. We're digression uh, defined. Okay, so yeah, the first EP, and then you add to it. This was your first... Do you even remember this time period for yourself? Because you were coming out of... Off of an experience where you were in a band fully collaborating with people and then you made your first solo record uh working with don kerr uh, ostensibly do you remember that mentality of like i gotta make this count it's my first time out on my own absolutely and i sucked i i was funny if it wasn't for don that record would have been pretty amateur i think but um it was mostly performing i was really I, I didn't realize how much um, effort it takes to front a band for the entire set because I would only Ben Gunning did like most of the heavy lifting vocally in the band. Like I'd have to sing like maybe maybe thirty percent of a set any given night. And so I can remember when we first started going like, oh man, I could, like I couldn't. I found it hard to pull it off, and I really needed I needed the band. Like I was. Uh, I, I really needed the support, like the musical support. I wasn't very good at doing solo. I still don't like doing solo. Mm. Um, I like being in a band and I like I like supporting other musicians as much as I like being supported, probably more actually. And um, yeah, it was tough, but we got but we got good. You know, you just put the time and the hours in and then my cur- the current band um, came on really quickly. Like, like Dawn, it was really quickly apparent that Dawn couldn't actually commit to doing any sort of real touring or developing the band like as a as a permanent kind of project and so i got um because don was so good uh he could sing so well and play so well i got two guys to replace him like i basically um reconnected with gavin mcguire who who was in the burt nielsen band at the time and i knew him from a band called the pumans from windsor like way back in the day the pumans yeah the pumans were like a sort of um yeah, like a 90s band, like a 90s rock band from Windsor, like the Rabbits Cross passed with them. Chris Murphy from Sloan produced a recording for them. Oh, okay. Um, and Gavin was like an excellent, he was known as an excellent drummer, actually. And and um, uh, I went to see, actually, Ryan and Jay from the Rabbits, because they were in Soft Canyon, like Tricky Woo offshoot. And uh, they were touring with Burt Nielsen. So I went to the Horseshoe to watch Gavin play. And I kept, like, couldn't take my eyes off Jeff Hayshalt on the keyboards, um, and he was playing like his sonic palette was like all the stuff that I did in the rabbits, but he was like 10 times better and, um, he could sing well. And I thought like, Oh, I wonder if he could kind of come along. So those guys both joined right away. And, um, and we still had Doug Friesen and Doug is still like, you know, um, honorary member of the band. He's like so busy with other things that we've. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. 
Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Got Jeremy Little now on the base, and he's been with us for for many, many years, kind of subbing in and out, but he's kind of, he's got the first chair, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so it's been that band for like 10 years, you know? So we're, you know, I've got the original guys, but... The current band is as much original as as uh, as Dawn, but um, right, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and so the when you go out in in support of a party of one right now, are you touring as a trio? Or are you touring with the everybody? I'm touring with everybody. Touring mm-hmm. with the regular band, which is Gavin McGuire, Jeff Hayshelton, Jeremy Little, mm-hmm. and um, just because it's a it's a seasoned band, that's what that's where I'm putting my focus. And I'm more. It's fun to go out and do this party of one stuff, but I'm interested in the new material and I want to kind of keep pressing forward. Like, um, memory lane is fun, but it's, you know, I want to, I want to move on yeah. to, you know? Yeah. Now I, I know you've got to get going fairly soon, but I want to get to a few things. Uh, notably, I think we should talk about light of day. Mm-hmm. This is a, an organization that you're involved in. Can you talk a little bit about what the organization does, uh, and what your role has been in it over the last few years and maybe some of the experiences you've had, because um, I happen to know that those experiences are very extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Light of Day is a foundation that benefits Parkinson's research. So they kind of raise money to go to, to different organizations that will develop uh, cures and, and research towards curing um, uh, Parkinson's and sort of related illnesses. And they're based in New Jersey, but... Um, there and they travel around doing musical benefits to kind of support light of day, but there's also light of day Canada that's developed in the last, you know, five, six years. And, um, so there's concerts around this stuff. And, um, what happened in the last few years was that, um, they were developing the concert series for Hamilton. So I was recruited to kind of just perform at it as one of the artists at the benefit. And I kind of like got the, I was sort of mistaken in that I thought it was a Bruce Springsteen um, uh, themed event. Like I thought it was basically like cover bands. Like I thought I kind of had to go in and just do Bruce covers and it was that sort of night. And I'm such a huge fan. I thought it'd be really fun. And there's seldom opportunities to kind of uh, celebrate Bruce. I find like musically around my scene anyway. And so I kind of went on now, uh, gladly. Just, and just, I, a, I, just a sec yeah. though, Pete, why would you assume there would be any connection to Bruce? Can you explain that? Okay. Because um, my 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 friend Andrea Rahill, who who got me involved in the project out in Hamilton, she's a huge Bruce fan, and I think it was just confusion in an email saying, um, "Can you come and maybe do some Bruce covers?" Like it was, I can't remember exactly why, because I I knew through them that Bruce was a friend of the charity, and that because it's based in New Jersey. Um, maybe I should go back to the beginning. It's based around a, a gentleman named Bob Benjamin and Bob Benjamin is like a music industry veteran in New Jersey. And Bob uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's around 1999. And so around his birthday in 2000, um, he, his friends started throwing kind of big birthday parties for him that became sort of benefit concerts to help with his healthcare. And uh, they really took off around there. So um, and some of his friends are like legendary New Jersey Shore musicians like Bruce Springsteen and, uh, you know, Southside Johnny, um, guys like this. So 
um, you know, they decided to take the concerts away from there and take them on the road. And uh, one of these guys is uh, named Joe Durso, and he's got a band called Joe Durso and Stone Caravan. And um, they kind of, he and, and Willie, the, you know, famed Willie Nile, sort of uh, punk songwriter from New York, he and Willie sort of really go out on the road spreading the word of light of day and raising money for Parkinson's. So they're the guys that brought it to Canada. And, uh, and there's like a sort of a flagship event in Niagara Falls. And then there's one in Hamilton, there's one in Toronto. So anyway, I was signed on, I signed on to just perform at the one in Hamilton and actually dragged Plaskett into it too. And so we raised like a good amount of money that year, especially for just like one night in a bar at the St. Hollywood in Hamilton. And then the following year I kind of came on as a coordinator and I got the trues, uh, booked the trues in one night and I booked Joel for another night. So we kind of doubled the, um, the attendance and therefore the money. And we auctioned off some guitars with some generous donations from Gibson, um, by, you know, whom I'm sponsored. And, uh, although I'm playing a fender right now in this interview, um, and, but, you, and uh, you've already hyped a telly earlier. That's true. Um, so anyway, um, now this year is the third year and I've kind of raised the stakes in Hamilton and we, we got Sam Roberts band involved and we're doing it at a bigger place. We're doing Hamilton place, uh, the Molson studio at Hamilton place. And that's April 12th and, and we've sold out. Um, so meanwhile, in all this, because were, we were doing such a good job with our Hamilton thing, we, you know, I got invited down to New Jersey to perform at light of day Asbury park. And so two years ago, I went down and all I did was I went by myself and I, I got to play guitar. I guested with Joe Durso in his set at um, the, the main event, which is a multi-band bill at the Paramount Theater right up there on the shore. And I played in a songwriter event uh, on the Sunday night. But that Saturday night, Springsteen is there and he guests with everyone who performs. And so he, um, you know, I went to the sound check and, you know, you knew he was there because you see the familiar like two twin, uh, the two uh, like, you know, 412 cabinets the tweed cabinets and his guitar tech was there and this is going back a couple of years but uh, you know i got to i got to play his telecaster like the the guitar tech kevin buell just said hey you're a guitar player check this out and so that was crazy enough and then later on in the night i wind up on stage with bruce and everyone else for um thunder road and the song light of day and it was just kind of amazing and and further on into the night i got to have a a pretty cool conversation with bruce at an after party and picked his brain about songwriting the next year we went down, did the same thing, but Bruce didn't, wasn't able to come. It was still super fun. And we, you know, raised a lot of money, had a great time making music and just got to know the people in the organization a little better. Um, and then this year it went, I went down in January and Bruce was there again. And he seemed to remember me, which was kind of crazy. And this time I'd kind of like, um, I'd, I'd come up a little bit in the, in the scene. So I, I was able to bring my band down and we played at the legendary stone pony, which is unbelievable because I remember being 17 and, uh, going there just as a fan to sort of like on, on a pilgrim, on sort of a Bruce pilgrimage and being in the stone pony and arguing with a guy for a, a stone pony 20th anniversary t-shirt. <laughs> um, and then this year I'm setting up for the show at the stone pony and I look over and there's 40th anniversary stone pony shirts on wow. the wall. So took 20 years to get there, but there we were. So we had a fun set at the pony. And then, um, I'm at, uh, the main event, the Paramount and, and I had another job to do that night. I just did like a solo acoustic appearance, like in front of a curtain while they were changing over the bands, which I had done last year, but last year I did it like really early on in the night. Um, this time I did it right before Willie Nile. So I actually had kind of a cool slot and, um, 
right before I'm about to go on, early, earlier on in the night, you know, I'd seen Bruce around and I reintroduced myself and he said, okay, well, I look forward to seeing you play tonight. And I thought, well, that's really cool of him to say, but he's not going to see me play because I'm going to be in front of the curtain. Um, and he just won't be able to go out in the crowd and watch me. So I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out like with my guitar on deck, as they say, like ready to go on. And Bruce comes over and he's like, Hey, did you go on yet? And I said, no, I'm just about to, but here actually you should warm up my guitar. And I take my, I don't know where I got the guts to do that. But <laughs> so I, I give him my guitar and he says, okay. And he kind of like takes it and he's playing it kind of gingerly because like, um, Garland Jeffries is at, on the stage at that very moment. Right. And Bruce kind of playing, he's like, he's just kind of, he's sort of figuring out to, to the Garland Jeffries song. And he's kind of gingerly playing along with it. So I'm, I'm flipping out that Bruce is playing my guitar and then, which is by the way, a Gibson loner and they're never getting it back by the way. So, um, and uh, so he's playing it and I actually had further balls to say with feeling, with feeling, you know, they so cracked a smile and, uh, and then he rubbed it kind of like a genie lamp. And I swear to you, I can still, I still have his smudge. The smudge marks are still there on the finish on the guitar, which is kind of cool. Anyway, he takes it off, gives it back to me. I have a, a bit, like a little bit of a laugh. And then um, I go on and I play my two songs and I come off. And as I'm coming off, um, Jeff from my band was with me and he goes, dude, comes over to me. And I'm like, what? And before he can say anything, Bruce walks in from the audience uh, this, uh, by the stage um, after having gone out to watch me. So I, I was like blown away. He went and watched me play and he comes in, he comes over. And he's like, hey, you sounded good. You sounded good. Not you sounded really good. But just you sounded good, and um, so I could have just fallen over right then and there. It was kind of <laughs> kind of insane. And then um, to further that, like some uh, uh, like a new, I was going to say a new fan. I'm going to call them a new friend because they sent me a photo of him watching me play. So I have this like really amazing because it was the only time in the whole night that he went into the audience. So I have this amazing uh, photo of Bruce smiling watching me play. So wow pretty cool stuff and then later on had more of a chat in the night talked about guitars and um this was at the after party and we got to talk about te playing telecasters and stuff and it was funny because the people around um were like can you guys stop talking about guitars and then uh bruce is like but this is valuable information you know <laughs> so it's pretty funny and fun and he was awesome and um and uh like just an unforgettable um uh, experience so anyway yeah very cool. Legends of Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And I know you've told this story probably. Have you told this story a billion times? I've told it like a, a lot. It's okay. I really like it. Have you told it? Story. Have you told it in this context though? Have you told mostly friends? Have you talked to media about this? I've only, no, you're the, I, I, I talked to um, uh, a lovely person who called me from the Eastern townships in Quebec for a community radio thing. I told it. Mm -hmm. I told her the similar story. But this is the first time I'm really telling it, I think. I find it funny because it's like you want to be, well, you, me, I want to be cool and be like his peer or fanny my, fan, fancy myself some kind of peer. But it's impossible to, to remove yourself from the fan yeah. perspective. It's like I can't help but be be giddy and, and talk about it and want to post pictures of it and um, post a picture of he and I, you know, on the stage together and stuff like it's. That's what I worked for. My, you know, it's funny when you realize what it is you worked for because you don't have it. Your goals are done. It's like, oh, I should have, I should have set my sights on something that had money attached to it. But I, you know, I, I they feel like I've achieved my goals now. You know, it's well, you're weird. one of you're one of these people that I think make music out of a passion for it more than a practical practical aspect, right? Yeah, definitely. So I think when yeah. you when you achieve a goal like this one, 
it soothes the passion more than the wallet or the practical, you know, life stuff. It really does. It really does. And it's, it's def it's more meaningful than anything, um, uh, career related. It, it, absolutely. It's amazing. Like to feel like, and I did feel like I was there that night. I was probably at my best, you know, I was yeah. probably at playing my material. I felt was the best. I picked two songs I thought were good. And they're both unrecorded songs. And, um, who knows what he really thought? It doesn't matter though. You know, I, I was there at my best and got to play for my hero, you know, so it's kind of cool. And, um, yeah, it, just to touch on what you were saying about, um, it being like a passion versus a career thing. I, it is, it's absolutely like, it's a calling. And I mean, I know dozens of guys, we both know dozens of guys and girls who, um, just continue to do it out of, uh, being compelled. You know, it's, mm -hmm. there's there it, being in a band is like the best and worst idea anyone's ever had. Right. So, <laughs> um, I kind of, you know, it, it's just, you have to do it. Like it feels really, it's painful to get it going. It's painful to get an album up and running and try to get the songs together. It's painstaking and difficult, but it's worse to, to, to let time pass and not have, not be on stage and not be, not be writing and, and not be singing, you know, so as it's, it's a trap. <laughs> yeah, it is a trap. But I think, you know, you're uh, in a rare space where I think what you're doing is touching people. Um, maybe it's not always touching them enough to click purchase on some iTunes thing. I don't know if that's true or not. But I do think that, you know, the fact that you put yourself out there for this organization and were adopted by the people that uh, are involved in Light of Day to the point where Bruce Springsteen was touched by you, touched enough by your presence to go and watch you play. I mean, that's really indicative of you and your spirit. So I think that's what it is. Thanks, Fish. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's true. It's just a really nice uh, compliment. Because I, I, I don't know, and it's this thing with Light of Day you know, it's not like I have a lot of successes to draw upon to go back and throw my hat in the ring again as a recording artist and sell. Like, I don't have a lot of sales. Like, you know, there's not been um, a lot of tours. And like, you know, I, I feel like I've hit some creative success marks. But um, this light of day thing, I feel like what I can bring to the table is essentially a network of people that I've met and and who trust me and, and like me and I trust them. And it's something I it's been a nice application for the 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 thousands of hours and, and many years that I've been doing this. So um glad to be able to do, to, to use it for something good. Yeah, no. And it, it's great to, great to, to see you doing that. Uh, Repeat Offender has been out how many years now? It's been out like two weeks, dude. Oh, it's only been out two weeks. I'm sorry. It feels like, it feels <laughs> like it came out two years ago. I can't keep track. That's your last album. Yeah, it is. It's, I think it's, uh, it's two years. So yeah. Let's just say two years. Right? Okay. Let's say two years. Um, What's coming up next for you? I mean, we're, we've been focused so much on your first album and the reissue and these shows. Um, how are, how's work uh, going towards something new? It's going okay. It's slow. I'm really, really happy with the quality. Um, so it's funny. I'm like, oh, I don't want, I want it to be really good. And I'm, I don't want there to be any fluff. And so I'm taking my time and I feel like that's benefited me. Like even, uh, going into, you know, last year, the first couple songs that I had written, which I thought were like super good. I'm really much more delighted with the things that I've just, just written. So I'm happy. I think it'll be a good quality. And I kind of feel like, and maybe this sounds like rationalization or, or an excuse that, 
there's a lot of people have a lot of I'm not the only artist in people's record collection. So I don't by that at that rate I've not felt like there's any rush. Yeah. I feel like prolific is is supposed to be, you know, people say when someone's prolific it's a compliment, but I feel like that can be dangerous though too. Um uh you know, I don't lots of guys have lots of records and I wish that maybe they didn't have so many. You know. Like that even goes for for Bruce. Uh you know, there I appreciate what kind of, and I get like, you know, the, the career trajectory in the last couple of years doing a couple uh, new records to keep the band on the road um, and that kind of thing. Uh, and that makes sense because there's like an obligation, you know, f- probably financial obligation as well to like many people around him. But um, as far as like the casual kind of professional artist like me, it's a new ca- category of guy that I'm creating a casual professional. Um, it, it, like it's not that I don't think there's urgency because I have like, you know, I make money other ways too. And I uh, got to do some music for TV and that's become a new thing. And, um, it's you know, a, I got my it, dogs. And I yeah, no, it, and it's interesting to me that you've struck a slightly defensive posture in me simply asking if you've got new, new music. Like I, and I know that we're cool. I, we're cool. Right. Pete, you and I, <laughs> for sure i didn't think i was i wasn't no but uh, it's just funny that you took it as i was just like hey what's going on and you were like no i think you were a little i think you were like yeah everyone's asking me about my new stuff and like why do i have to have new stuff like i'm making the stuff like what's the big deal yeah i think i'm i i'm just uh overly explaining why it takes why it takes me a long time to write because it's just it's just a fact at this point you know it's just the i've done i've spent my whole career taking a long time so that's just the way i roll i guess you know sort of like bruce i think so he i'm not even kidding he made me feel good about it when the the first time i talked to him because i was expressing some uh, frustrations about writing and he talked about how long it took him to just to get darkness done and you know that they didn't make any money on the first two records and uh, yeah that was helpful probably uh made me procrastinate a little longer (laughs) Well, yeah, no, he's. Uh, I think you're right. I think there's something to be said about being selective and not just pumping out records just because you feel like you have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although it would be good. I do wish that um, that they came a little quicker, but uh, I'm happy with the way it's going. No, you should be. It's good. It's it's totally good. I want to let people know that uh, once again. Peter Alkis is celebrating the 10th anniversary of his solo debut, Party of One. It's uh, got a vinyl pressing available at select shows across southern Ontario in April, including uh, a Guelph stop at the E-Bar on Thursday, April 3rd. He'll be joined on that uh, bill by Harlan Pepper of Hamilton. Yeah. And uh, you can learn more about all of this at peterelkis.com. Pete, if we were to go to a song right now, I presume from Party of One, what song song would you uh, pick? For us, I would pick. I would pick. I see fine. I think for me, that's the one that had everything. That had the whole, the the vibe of the whole record was on that one. It's the best, best writing, best riffs. Yeah, I feel like that for me is a turning point for you as a writer. I feel like that's one of the first times I've heard you kind of use everyday language um, and be a little like you. That's like one of the best stories you've told. As a oh, songwriter, thanks. I think, uh, because you're just talking about, for you, people will hear it, like all these allusions to folding laundry and uh, watching reality TV and and all that. I mean, it just, uh, it's very vivid. And I think, I remember talking to you at the time and you're saying like, yeah, this, it felt like kind of an epiphany for you even. It did. Yeah. And I still think, um, 
it's one of the better ones that I've better ones that I've written. And it was the most tapped into that, that vibe, uh, that I think I've ever been. It's, it was, it's hard to get back to that kind of really candid kind of thing. Um, and it has some good rhymes in it. <laughs> it does anxiety, uh, you know, <laughs> stewing and anxiety, watching reality TV. It's great. I think it's a great, great song. And, uh, Thanks. yeah. So it let- has I rhyme the words cavalier and song you have to hear. Yeah. And by Cavalier, I mean not the adjective, I mean the car. The, the Chevy Cavalier. Cavalier, yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. I can picture the city of Montreal in it, you know. I can picture everything going on. And I think that's a true mark of a great songwriter. I can actually feel the story kind of is is emerging before my eyes as I listen to the song. If That, that sounds kind of corny, but it's true. No, that's neat. Thanks a lot. I'm glad that you that you like it that much. Yeah, I do. I really do. So let's let's hear. This is <laughs> this is Peter Elkus with uh, I See Fine. Go see Pete Elkus on tour and pick up Party One. It's uh, an amazing record. And uh, Pete, I thank you for your time. Uh, anytime, Vish. Um, thanks for asking me to do it, and thanks for helping with the show in Guelph. And uh, um, and uh, look forward to talking to you like this again. My parents are home. We had a lot to say Where'd you go that night? We should have had a fight Folding clothes in my family room Stewing in anxiety Watching reality TV Waiting on certain doom Probably had company Ooh, I know that guy He's probably from your company On Mount Royal Way up high Together in your cavalier You said there's a song You have to hear About a girl leaving her guy Something dies Without you I won't die So maybe you could just come clean Something dies. 
Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.